morning, everybody. It is good to see all of you here today. Welcome to Zion. If you don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. And just super excited every week to get with everybody. It is, it is amazing uh, to be with the body of Christ and just to share and experience what God is doing together in the assembly of the saints. Uh, so if you are new today, we are going through a series on Proverbs. Uh, we've been in Proverbs for a little while. We got some more to go. What I love about Proverbs is it teaches us the wisdom of God, the fruit of God, how to walk out the fruit of God. And we know that wisdom, true wisdom, comes from above. It is literally Jesus dwelling in us that brings wisdom to us, real wisdom. Uh, we've been, uh, what I love about this series is we've been covering some really fun topics, just topics that we don't get to talk about all the time. Uh, last week, we got to talk about alcohol, which uh, I really loved just talking about that subject. Uh, today, I forgot to ask the sound team for my intro music. Uh, it was going to be money, money, money. <laughs> you didn't know my voice could get that falsetto. <laughs> today, we're talking about a biblical view of money. And I, I personally just, I love this topic because as you read scripture, you just can't get away from it. It is so much fun to talk about it. One of the reasons why it's so much fun to talk about is because how much people cringe every time I mention it. That's, that's just something that I personally love. Uh, but I truly believe that having this, a biblical view of money is crucial to having a correct walk with God. And so often we get just kind of scared about talking about these topics because we're scared of what people will think. Uh, and, and for me, that just makes me more excited to talk about it. Because we have to understand this, that God cares deeply about how we handle money. And I will not only prove that to you today through Proverbs and Scripture, but we will also talk about why God cares about it so much. What we do with money reveals our heart. It reveals our heart. In Matthew, it says, where your treasure is, so is your heart. So if it has felt like, if you have been in the church and it has felt like God wants your money and that he's after your money, guess what? He is. He is after everything. Now, sometimes you may have encountered a pastor that is after your money. That is a different story. We're not talking about that today. We are talking about God because when we, when we give our lives to God, so often we think, I just give my Sunday morning to God. God doesn't want your Sunday morning. God wants your whole heart. He wants everything. God wants all of who we are. If God is not Lord of your wallet, then he is not Lord of your heart. We have to understand that in our lives, that if God is not in charge of my pocketbook, my checkbook, of my bank account, of my wallet, of my credit cards, whatever, of my Venmo account, of my PayPal Express, of my Zelle Quick Pay, whatever it is, there's a million names for it. In scripture, it's mammon. If he is not in charge of our wallet, then he is not in charge of our heart. 
Here are some Bible stats for everybody. 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus, 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught were concerned with how to handle money. One in 10 verses in the Gospels deal directly with the subject of money. One in 10 verses. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. I believe that Jesus did that. I believe that all of these stats are true because the only other thing that can offer a full false representation of what Jesus offers us is money. That's the only other thing, if you think about it, that can truly offer us everything that Christ offers us. It is money. When Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot have two masters, he did not say you cannot serve God and the devil. He didn't say you can't serve God and the world. He said you cannot serve God and money. Because those are the two rival gods in our heart at all time, in any age, at any time, from the beginning, the dawn of humankind, to where we are now. Our wealth, our resources, our money has always been the thing that has propped itself up against God and has said, I can offer you the things that God can follow me. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 to 11 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. To the imagination of humans, money does what God does. It provides a sense of security, a sense of control. It is a source of joy. That is what money does in our imagination. But in truth, what we need to learn is that only God can provide these things. That when we lift up these things in our heart, when we build up this wall that money can give us, what it is is truly a wall just built up in our imagination. It is not a real fortress. The only true fortress that we can run to and be safe is the fortress that God has. Why can't these things be provided by money? Why, why a lot of us look when we... When we look at what money provides, we look at things like security, we look at things like control, we look at safety for our future. But why is it that money actually does not provide this? Well, in Proverbs 23, verse 5, it says this. When your eyes light on it, in the context of this script, uh, scripture, it's talking about wealth. So when your eyes light on wealth, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings. Any of you all have money and, and it just sprouted wings one day and flew away? Flying like an eagle towards the heavens. That's like, that's, some of our money is like that. Just I thought I had $20 in my wallet, but it seems to have flown away this morning. I could have sworn there was more money in my bank account. I didn't think I was getting hit with overdraft fees today. Right? This is a little too real for some of us. We're painful with those fees in our hearts. See, we, we can't give money control of our future because sometimes money just grows wings. And sometimes it just flies away and it's like, 
where, where are you going, honey? Boo-boo. I thought we were closer than that. I thought you loved me. Nope. Money just gets up and leaves whenever it wants. See, if you strive for money and not God, what you will find is that money is not your friend in a time of need. It is not the safe refuge that you can run to. Money has no loyalty. It provides no real security. It will be here one day, and it will be gone the next. Everything that money offers is false. Everything money offers is false. The thing about it is, it provides It promises all the greatest things. But let me tell you something. When it is most needed, the time where you most need your possessions, when you most need its faithfulness, when you most need its security, when you most need its joy, when you most need all of that control that it offers, it won't be there. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. When would you think would be the time that you most need your wealth, that you most need your possessions, that you most need your resources? Let me tell you, it is the day of wrath, the day of judgment. When you stand before God and you show for everything that you have, and you are de- your, your fate, your eternity is being decided, that when, that's when it would be most convenient to have all the wealth and all the riches that you amassed and say, well, let me, let me take all of this into heaven with me. Guess what? In the day of wrath, the riches that you accumulate will not give you any profit. The day when you most need it most, the day when you most need that security and that joy, And that loyalty, guess what? It will not be there for you. Yet so often, people will lose their soul for it. Proverbs 16, verse 8, it says this. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Man, in order to get wealth... We have learned it's okay to cut corners, right? This, in philosophy class, they taught this one understanding of morality, and it's utilitarianism. It is called the ends justify the means. So guess what? If the ends justify the means, then if my ends is more wealth and more profit and more money, then I will sue you. I will hold to myself what is due to others. I will lie. I will cheat because money is my provider. And I will do what I need to make sure I have provision for my life and for my family. God is not my provider. So I will not live in righteousness. I will not. Live a life pure and holy before God. Instead, I will live a life that causes injustice to others in order to get provision for myself, for my family, for my friends. 
what happens is when, when we do cheat, when we do steal, when we do lie, it's because naturally we think, well, I need money. And the only way I can get it right now is, eh, you know what, maybe I just need to cut this corner. Maybe, maybe I, I can just lie about what happened so I can keep a little bit more money or so I don't have to pay this out or so I can get some more than I was expecting. Maybe I needed to lie to get that promotion at work. But, you know, if I get that promotion, then I can start taking care of more of my bills. And God's understand because then I can, I can maybe start giving to the church so it's all good. As long as I get that promotion, I had to deceive in order to land this deal. But it was, it was worth it because now I, I have the provision that I need. I have the money God understands. What we are saying in those moments is that the power of money is greater and is wiser than the power of God. We are saying the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of money, is wiser than the wisdom of God. When I lie to get money, when I cheat or steal to have provision, what I'm saying is that the way of righteousness is folly. The way of God is foolishness. I'm subscribing to a wisdom outside of God. And what I'm doing is I'm bowing down to the wisdom of this world. I'm bowing down to mammon, to money. And I'm saying your wisdom is greater. Your provision is powerful. And you are Faithful. I think fast money is a great example of this. In Proverbs 28, verse 20, it says this. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs 13, 11 says this. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Instead of being faithful with what God has given us, we want more. I don't know how many times I have said this and I have heard this. I always love it when I hear it. God, I'm not going to tithe on what I have today. But don't worry, when I have more money, I will. Guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Little secret. When your attitude is like that, you will never have enough. When you just need a little bit more, I think one of the greatest principles that my parents taught me was how to be generous with my $5 allowance a week. You know, I tried to flip that and then I was like, how about you be a little bit more generous with the allowance? <laughs> they were teaching me, no, we're teaching me. Principles of savings and frugalness. I was like, okay, whatever you want to call it, guys. They teach me, be generous with this $5 set aside for God. First, Justin. Because what they taught me was when you begin to do that now, you'll already be in practice. And when you have more and the temptation, people think that temptation will be less the more that you have. But that is not there can be nothing farther from the truth. The temptation only grows the more that you have. If you cannot handle what you have now, don't lie to yourself and say, just need a little bit 
more. What you are broadcasting to God is this, that you cannot be faithful in the little so that you will definitely not be faithful with the much. I mean, how many get-rich-quick schemes do we hear about all the time? The next big stock tip. Another little secret, it's probably going to crash and burn. I'm going to give you a couple examples of recently of, of how this has happened. Cryptocurrency, anybody got caught up in cryptocurrency? What happened? The, the, the next big thing, everybody was going to, oh, this is, it's going up and up and up, and then everybody's buying in at like $15,000 up. For, for $1 in cryptocurrency, and it's, oh, guys, it's going up. I saw Facebook, Facebook post after Facebook post. You better get in. You're going to get a return of 2% every single day, compounding. It's going to grow. And the amount, I saw this, and it's, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. End of story. What will happen, what is clear, is that when you, when you find the, the fast money, the get-rich-quick schemes, they will leave you wanting. What happened? Cryptocurrency crashed and burned. I was like, why are you all so silent all of a sudden? Why don't I hear you posting about how this is the next big thing that everybody needs to give you their money for? Think about the dot-com boom and crash. The subprime mortgage crash. What happened was everybody was saying, oh, this is where you get rich quick. And so everybody's throwing money, 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 money into this, hoping for the return. And what happens is this bubble is created. The bubble breaks, it bursts, and then you are left holding the bag. And the bag is empty because all your money was in the bubble and it exploded and it grew wings and it flew away. Greed causes us to make hasty decisions that lead to the loss of the very thing we were greedy after in the first place. If there's one thing that I want to get across to you, everybody, it is that money has no loyalty. It does not care about you. But it is not just the chasing of money that kills us, but it is also the longing after the status that it brings that will also kill us. In Proverbs 12, verse 9, it says this, Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man who lacked bread and lacked bread. I'll tell you a story about when I was in Ohio. We were doing ministry, and we would go to the, just the, the poorest neighborhoods in the surrounding regions of uh, Columbus, Ohio. And what we would do is uh, Panera Bread and some other places would donate food to us on like a Thursday night or a Friday night, and we would go into the neighborhoods and we would give out the bread, and this would be their food for the lunch that we were giving or the breakfast or the dinner. I mean, they, these were people that were in need. You know, we were going and bringing them food for a reason because they needed food. But I, I'll never forget how open my eyes became to the mentality that this proverb is talking about right here. Because the first thing I noticed is I was there for a while, and I started to ask myself, why do I see so many nice cars in the parking lot? I mean, literally, there was, there was just, there was beautiful cars left and right. I'm thinking, I can't afford a car like this, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving out food for these people to eat. And so then it, we would go in their house, and I would see they had the biggest TVs, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, every console that you can think of, Jordans, you know, as soon as you walked in, 
the front door. They were lining the wall. But here I was handing out bread for dinner. Right? This is literally what the proverb is talking about. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. See, what has happened is in America, this idea that I would rather look rich, I would rather play the part than actually live within my means has created a culture of debt. 71% of all U.S. workers are in debt. 71%. 7 out of 10 people. This is why I think this is relevant, because 7 out of 10 people in this room are in debt. Four in five U.S. workers live paycheck to paycheck. Four in five U.S. workers live paycheck to paycheck. Proverbs 22.7 says this, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Modern-day slavery is debt culture. When you are in debt, this is what happens. You lose say over what you can do. Someone else now owns your decision making. What debt does is it, it is when you when you enter into debt, you are giving someone else control of your finances. You are taking away control from God. You are giving it to someone else. For college, this is why I went to CUNY. CUNY was $4,000 a year. $4,000 a year is something very different than $40,000 a year. And what corporate America will do nowadays is they will try to get you as young as possible so that you can pay $40,000, $60,000 a year. You're obviously not making that. Rack up six figures in debt and then be in their control for the rest of your life. This is where it begins, it starts, so that you begin to have a mentality from a young age. It is normal, it is the way of life to live under a culture of debt ownership from somebody else. And we prop up college so much that what we have done is we've created a generation that is going to be in debt if they rack up no other debt, nothing else, for at least three decades. And that is if we're being kind and saying that they will not rack up debt for another three decades. But what happens is this control says, well, they want control of our purchases. They want control of our decision making. They want control of what we can and cannot do. And the easiest way to do that is to control your finances. This is also what happens with layaway. With multiple credit cards, we just start thinking, oh, I'll pay it later. Oh, I can, I can do this, I can do it later. These are the tactics so that others can own your future. A future that belongs to God as God's people. We must begin to say no. If I cannot afford it now with cash, then I cannot buy it. Do we know that that is righteous living? That if I look at my bank account and my bank account says, Justin, are you crazy? <laughs> then I need to look at the Apple worker and say, I'm sorry, but you're crazy. 
I cannot buy this right now. I need to look at the footlocker person and just say, you are crazy. I cannot buy this right now. Because only one person, only one person should ever have ownership over my future and over my decision making. And that is the person that I lay my life at the feet of. That is the person that has died and sacrificed that if anyone deserves ownership over my decisions, over ownership over my life, ownership over my future, it is the one who sacrificed all for me. It's not a bank. It's not some person in some office. It is not a credit card rep. Those people should not have ownership over our life and over our decisions. And we may hear all this and think, see, if I just had more money, it would solve all my problems. Well, a great philosopher once said, more money, more problems. <laughs> Proverbs 13.8 says this, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth. But a poor man hears no threat. See, what happens is when you increase money, like we said, you increase temptation. When you increase your wealth, you increase how easy it is to fall into money's control and to money's power. The more wealth you acquire, the more burden you place on your own shoulders. To keep that wealth. Well, now you need to keep your lifestyle. Now you need, to, you need to keep your things. And in order to keep your lifestyle, in order to keep your things, well, you need to keep on making the same money. Start to make more money because now the debt racks up, the payments every month rack up, and now your overhead goes up. And, well, I need to stay at this amount of wealth. And what is every bill that you need to pay? Every Come on. Let, let, I saw somebody put a meme up this morning about adulting. And I was like, ain't that the truth? When they... Talk about adult content in videos and in movies. They're never talking about real adult content, which is paying bills, getting to your job on time. Like, that is real adult content right there. But if you know, every bill that you need to pay, that's another burden on your shoulder. Every, every payment that goes through. And the more that you have, the more weight that you begin to put on your shoulder. You know, I... I Talk to a lot of people that want to start a business, and they're, they're in college, and they want to start a business, and then they graduate from college, and then they get a job. And I always laugh because I tell them, you, the likelihood of you starting a business just drops to about 5% chance. And a lot of times, they're just like, huh, what are you talking about? See, what happens is you start to make a salary. You get used to making that salary. You, when you're in college, you're broke, right? Anybody ever been broke in college? You are used to making nothing. And so when you start a business and you make nothing for a year, two years, then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm used to essentially being in this place of making nothing. But then you get a salary and you get a taste of what it's like to get that money deposited in your bank account every other week. And then you think, oh, okay, I can buy some new stuff. I can get a car. I can get a nicer apartment. I can, I can buy some new things for the house. And then all of a sudden, what happens is the burden of the wealth that you now have becomes a greater burden, and what does this proverb say? It now, that wealth now has a ransom on your life. It controls you. Well, now you can't leave your job 
and start a business. Now you, now you, you, you can't stay home, you know, the times that you wanted to stay home. Now you can't do the things that you always wanted to do. Why? Because it has control of your decisions. It has control of your life. It has control of your future. But a poor man's heart has no threat. It's like, okay, you want to take away all the money I don't have? Good luck. Enjoy it. You can have everything that's in my bank account. Right? There's, there's a freedom that comes with that of no debt and no money. That I am, I, I can, I'm free to make a decision. I am free for the next step that I want to make in my life. When you're broke, you learn how to survive, how to budget, and how to live. I think one of the best things that ever happened to Heather and I was being broke our first year of marriage. She was in her last year of college, and I made a whopping $20,000. And guess what? We learned how to live off of $20,000. That absolutely changed my life. Because then when we started to make more money... We realized, hey, there's actually, we don't actually need this. And so we didn't allow our purchases to increase. We didn't allow our debt to increase. We didn't allow all this other. We, we started saying, God, what do you want to do? This is your money. And so our generosity was able to increase. Our, our gifts towards others was able to increase. Our, our gifts towards God and his work were able to increase. But also the control of money was able to keep its hands off of our life because of that. See, many of us have never experimented, how much do I actually need to live? What we will find is it's a lot different of a number than we think. Scripture says in Proverbs 19.1, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in his speech and is a fool. If you give me the option of being poor and righteous... Or rich and sinful, I'm picking poor every single time. Proverbs 15, 6, it says, In the house of a righteous, of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. And this is the thing, treasure is not the problem. It's how we get it and how we use it. That becomes the root of all types of evil. See, a lot of people misquote the scripture and say money is the root of all evil. It says money is the root of all kinds of evils. See, treasure is not the problem, but what we do with that becomes the problem. How did we acquire it? Did we acquire it through unrighteous means, through loving our neighbor by being generous towards others? Or did we get it through lying, through cheating, through stealing, through cutting corners and telling ourselves, well, the ends justify the means? Because then trouble is coming. In Proverbs 10.22, it says this, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. See, when God adds blessing in the form of wealth, it does not come with sorrow, it does not come with condemnation, or the stress of it flying away any day. And that is why I look for the blessing of the Lord, and not for the wisdom of people. 
in the church, I see very two distinct views of money, often fighting with one another. One is, God wants everyone to be a millionaire, and if you just sow your seed this Sunday, mm, come on, 30, 60, 100-fold, let's all proclaim today how money is going to be in our pockets next week. In fact, open up your wallets right now, because you're going to sow seed, and next week you're going to find a $100 bill in that wallet to give more. Mm, come on. Finally, some amens up in this place. <laughs> right, and then we say, God is your slot machine. Stop going to Vegas. Just give your $20 in the offering today. And this is called the prosperity gospel. And this is a lie from the pit of hell that has told people... That if you want to be that millionaire and that billionaire, well then just whip out your credit card today. It has no responsibility over how you spend your finances, no responsibility over your heart. And we have taken greed from the world and we have put it in scripture and we've called it the gospel. That the only reason why I give is because I want it to tickle the greed in my heart so I can have more. Then there is the other opposite side. God wants you to be poor and suffering at all times. No. God wants me to be content in all seasons. Paul said, I have learned how to live with nothing and I have learned how to live in abundance. See, the, the promise is not suffering and poverty. The promise is contentness and joy in any season. The promise is that when I give my faith to Jesus, it doesn't matter if my bank account has a million or it has zero. I know that I can sing hallelujah this morning in true joy and in true peace because all that I need is in him. With Christ, nothing is daunting anymore. Because when I hope in him, my hope is taken away from wealth, it's taken away from status, it's taken away from power, it's taken away from health. All those things that will fail, all those things that will leave, and it is put in Christ who will never leave me or forsake me. See, money should not be what we worship. Money should not be why we make the decisions that we do. Money should not be our security. It should not determine our future. And it should not be seen as evil. Money is a blessing from God to be used for his kingdom as a resource to advance his gospel. Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. This is the church that we need to be. We need to repent of the ways that we thought money was the answer to our problems and instead look to Jesus. 
Jesus, has my wealth honored you or has it been competing with you? Have the things that you have given me, have they increased my temptation to sinfulness? Or they, have they allowed me to worship you in everything that I do? See, Jesus is the only true salvation. When we look to our raise, when we look to promotion, when we look to things, when we look to whatever it is, an inheritance, when we look to these things and we say, that will save me. We are looking to a false hope that has no loyalty to you. In the day of judgment, it's my faith that will stay with me, not my riches. Can you stand and pray with me?